just does not, to me, translate into what it should be uh, for playoff basketball. And I just, I'm very concerned about that style of play playing basketball. And also, you know, you say, hey, Dallas needs another star. Who wants to play with that? I mean, Jalen Brunson decided he didn't want to. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know this is the Jalen Brunson revenge game, you know, 60, 60, <laughs> 60, 20 and 10. I mean, goodness. I mean, they, they gave it to your boy. But I'm yes. just saying, who wants to play with that style? If Luca Luca has to expand his game, I'd love to see some of the numbers kind of shift a little bit. And for Luca to get a lot off cuts, off, you know, off ball movement. Right. You know, and to play like that long term, that takes nothing away from the numbers, the historic numbers that we saw um, in this particular game. And and I mean, it's just miraculous, especially those last 35 seconds. The last 35 seconds of that game were historic and classic. Yeah. So all respect to Luca. I just personally in, in you saw what the Warriors did last year and what did the Warriors do in the last playoffs? They they held the Greg Popovich philosophy, which is let Luca get his yeah. and give nobody else theirs. There you go. That's what teams are going to do. I mean, they're just going to say, hey, get yours. You go. And we refuse no matter what to double team. So we'll <clears> we'll put our best, you know, wing defender on you. He'll get abused. He'll get his, 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 you know, his stuff taken. He'll get put on skates, all the above. And you'll get some good highlights and some stank faces. But your teammates will not get going. And when you need them to knock down shots, they will not be able to knock down shots in crucial moments. Yeah. Um, to, to, to you, Savon, what did, what, what did you kind of think about this performance and also, you know, the, the state of the Mavericks? We've talked about at times them not kind of being as consistent <clears throat> in close games and, and late games. And even though he had a phenomenal historic, historic performance there, these types of games aren't going to always be able to, to kind of go in their favor. I think it's exactly what Tyler said. That's not what they need as a team. You know, Luca is going to get it. You could tell. 60 points, okay, that's cool. You can tell how tired he was mentally and physically. He can't do that every game. He cannot. And I think we should give James Harden his roses because James Harden did that exactly, exact game a couple times for a month and a half consistently and was doing it with repetition. So Luka is not built like that. The the Dallas Maverick, it wasn't created and built like that. They were created to be a three-point team who's shooting below 40%. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Their free throws is another reason why they're not top in, top in the conference. Luka can do all that, but he cannot help his teammates by getting 60 points. He has to be a point guard, which is a facilitator first. Yes, he had like nine assists, but more. I'm, I'm with Tyler. Even that out a little bit. If you got 20, 15, 3, I'm okay with that. You're spreading the ball out. Now you get into three-point shooters in position to yeah. knock down threes. Now they're hot. Now you can feed. Now you can play the one-two game. Now you can step back, dribble, 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 step back, step back, step back. You can do all that. <laughs> but for the life of this ball club, Luka can't get 60 of well, but what I what I will say to that point though, Savon, is I completely agree. I think if you look even at game two of last year's Western Conference Finals, what happened? Dallas was most dangerous against Golden State when Dorian Finney Smith and Reggie Bullock and um Dinwiddie and yes, Brunson were all Dinwiddie, hitting. Yes. Yeah. And they were they were all hitting. And in that first half of game two, they looked scary, you know, and they had the Warriors on the ropes yep. and then came, you know, the Warriors came back and did what they did. 
But I, I, we also have to talk about this. We talk about Dallas moving forward. Two things I think are important to note. Luca keeps carrying this load. They are one month Luca Luca absence. A Luca mm-hmm. absence for a month knocks them out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're gone. Now it's not the same with the Warriors. The Warriors can survive Steph Curry being out for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. The Mavericks cannot. They are not built like uh-uh. that. And then I think we have to acknowledge this, which is I think Jason Kidd is limited as a coach. I know everyone wants to talk about how great he was in 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 the playoffs last year. Okay. But I'm going to tell you all, I think he is limited as a coach. And I think if you look at some of the late game execution of that team, Jason Kidd, in terms of the sets that they're running at end of game, mm-hmm. there was this really uh, uh, fascinating tweet video where I think it was the Bucks were playing the Mavericks and the Bucks knew the play the Mavericks were getting ready yeah. to run. Mm-hmm. And Luca could tell, and Luca was trying not to get them to run that play. And they didn't even get a shot off, or they got like a wild shot off or whatever at the end of that game. And it's like everything is so predictable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is this is basic. Like we gotta expand. And if you got a talent like Luca, who is a prodigious talent, one of the most talented players in the world, you wanna see him really have an opportunity and a shot. There's things he can change, but I think Jason Kidd also has got to develop and grow as a coach. See, accountability, I like that. I didn't even think about going after Jason Kidd. Yeah. And, and, and it's not even – and it's like he, he's obviously did great things in motivating this team, but, but when it gets down to it, the thing that's made Steve Kerr Steve Kerr is, yes, he has um, supreme ability to manage personalities. Yes, he is – the quintessential prototype role player so he can motivate role players. He knows what gets them going. But if you, if you look at it, I'm talking about, um, if you look at it, man, I'm saying when you think about, uh, sorry, something just came up on my, on my computer. I was like, what happened? Uh, but when you, when you think about the in game execution, the out of time now execution, mm-hmm. Steve Kerr is one of the best in, yeah. in the world. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You got to elevate. You can't just manage the personalities. You can't just rah-rah them to death. You need, you need execution. <laughs> and Steve Kerr is an execution yeah. coach. Yeah. And he executes very well. Same thing with Eric Spolstra. Yeah. You've got to raise your level here. Ty Lu. I mean, we're talking about these are the upper echelon coaches who can manage that talent. If you don't, Luke is going to be demanding a trade in two years because he can't get past the second round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and now getting into kind of the Nets' recent success and kind of some of the bi- the biggest reasons for it. Um, they won ten straight after after their one point win versus the Hawks and kind of and are currently second in the East. Like KD has has had one of like his best seasons um in a while. He's he's, he's consistent every year, but he's even stepped it up on on, on a two way level. Um, looking at this Nets team though, Tyler, because like this is a team that had so much like drama circ- circulating around it, so much uncertainty, and the fact that now almost heading into the new year, they're, they're second in the East and clicking at every level like like what it what stands out to you about this and, and does it kind of surprise you at all no i mean when you take into account this type of talent this is what we expected from them they're going to figure this thing out yeah. and they're going to figure out how to get on a run mm-hmm. now that's not to say they're going to have playoff ultimate playoff success i think they may have some challenges more challenges in the playoff as other teams in the east get healthy yeah. But they look phenomenal right now. Jock Vaughn's hitting all the right points as a coach. When you take into account, again, you know, we're talking about accountability. You know, Steve Nash, another point guard head coach, mm-hmm. you know, stepping into, yeah. into that particular job. He couldn't, couldn't hack it, couldn't last. 
And then you've got Jacques stepping in and Jacques is kind of really getting inside what needs to happen with this team. And I think what, what is really impressive is he's definitely playing, I think, a little bit better to Katie and Kyrie's strengths and also drawing out of them a sense of leadership that um, I think they've needed for a while that's been missing. So the Nets look really good. There's, you know, there's no way around it, especially when you have, you know, TJ Warren and some others, you know, that are clicking. When they start clicking, then the Nets team starts to really spread this wealth around offensively. And I think that's a big thing is they, they're slowing the game down. Slowing the game down. They're actually getting into sets. They're really getting space for KD and Kyrie to work. And has KD looked better? I don't know, man. KD yeah. has reminded me of that 2017-2018 Warriors KD. I mean, he's looking special mm. this year. So I'm looking forward to see who they match up with. Who knows what happens in the playoffs? I think we, we can't even talk playoffs after All-Star break, really, I feel like. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely think they have a, a really good shot in the East. Absolutely. Um, to, to you, Savon, like, like, what has impressed you the most about this this Brooklyn team and kind of, you know, like how they're putting the pieces together with, with a new coach and, and really looking like a, a formidable team in the East right now? No distractions. That's, that's what yes, it sir. is. No yes, distractions. KD is not doing what he's doing in the summer, so they can't play on Christmas Day. Kyrie is not doing the vaccination and all this, yeah, and, yeah anti-Semitic stuff and Steve Nash yes, is on yes. general manager. Like they're cleaning shop. They're getting back to the fundamentals of basketball. And we know yeah. this roster is star set, especially with Kyrie and KD, but we already know how special these guys can be. And for an assistant coach to be head coach and understand, let star players be star players. He's letting them play basketball, like pick up basketball. He's letting get it into sets. Like Tyler said, running the offense, Actually running an offense, just not calling the play and do an isolation. Okay, come on now. Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> and they're playing defense. So true. They're playing defense. They're playing right. team basketball. And I think when Steve Nash was fired, they came to whoever, like I go, you go, whatever. I think the team came together. It was like, hey, we got to get back to basketball. Everybody's looking at us. We know what we can do. And they're getting back to the fundamentals of basketball and they're gelling. And Katie does look really good. KD looks, man, like he's coming out of Texas. Super shy. (laughs) He looks good. Like he's confident. Like it's out, no distraction. That's the best thing for KD and Kyrie. And we all know what Kyrie can do when he has no distraction. He's focusing on basketball. Absolutely. I I will say this, Wellington. I feel like this is a little bit akin. I'm not necessarily saying it'll be the same outcome. This feels a lot like Jalen. Uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum figuring it out last year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. That yeah. certain point they clicked. That run. Yeah, that's a good point. And then they went on that run. And then, you know, the Celtics looked unbeatable. It feels a little bit like that. Now, I think I'd still favor the Bucks and the Celtics out of the East. But I, I think when you take a look at, at Katie and Kyrie, when they're operating on all cylinders and they're playing defense, yeah. they're a tough <clears> out for anybody. Yeah. They're, they're almost impossible to beat, yeah. um, really, when, when they're that good. What's to you, Tyler? What's the best version of KD you've ever seen, though? Like, if you like looking back, like, like what would you say? Like, this is the best because I feel as though that first year in Golden oh, State, he just was like 2017 finals, yeah, yeah. 2017 yeah, he finals, he was, yeah. without a he doubt. Yeah. He that first year, I, I'll just say, I mean, you know, if y'all haven't in a while, I do it sometimes just to have you know, just to have those memories. I remember where I was the first half of that 2017 game one, yes, with the KD Warriors versus. Fully loaded LeBron, Kyrie, yeah, Cavs. Sure. 
And that first half, the, the, the highest level of basketball, you know, Steph recently said, that's the highest level of basketball ever. He said, there's no, nobody can convince him that any other particular moment, people were playing a higher level of basketball. And I think throughout that entire series, I mean, Katie was just unstoppable. He was just a man on a mission and he was free. He was free not to have to worry about the leadership load. Yeah. Steph had that, Mm -hmm. you know, free not to have to worry about quarterback in the defense. Dre had that free not to have to worry about whether or not I can trust the role players. You got Clay Thompson, you got Andre Iguodala. He was just free. And I think at that point he, he was, he was playing on that stack team and he really, he really came into his own, but I think this year he's getting close to that level. Yeah, and I, I when it when it comes down to the playoffs, who knows what's going to happen? Absolutely. Um, and, and, oh, and then of course yeah. we can't we can't help but mention you know his Bucks series. Of course, you know he was oh my goodness, um, a few yeah. years ago against the Bucks. You know, with James without, Harden without nursing Harden, an injury, yeah. Kyrie, Kyrie getting getting out of the the series because of injury. That's up yeah. There. No, you you know that's definitely up there for yeah. sure. Definitely. Um, and now getting into kind of where the Nuggets currently stand in the West. Um, uh, they're they're currently second. Jokic is, is making a, a case for just another spectacular uh, a year. The team is looking more healthy. Um, and with this with this roster, I mean, they, they have they have so much so much talent, a, a lot of depth. How do you to you Tyler? How do you feel about this team? Kind of like where they stand, and do you feel as though this is this can be like a real threat? Um, deep into the postseason, which I, I I wonder if you you actually believe. No, I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not opposed to it. I just you know, I mean, cool. You know, this, this regular season, you know, cool. You know, get y'all, get y'all, get y'all, get y'all, get y'all licks in, man. Get y'all wins up. You know, that's what's oh, up. But no, nah, I mean, I think Denver looks good. I think if you're asking, you know, we had talked about before. You know, the most complete team in the West. I think the most complete team in the West has been New Orleans. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they've I, been I the team that has been, you know, looking scary from a depth standpoint, from an energy standpoint, youth standpoint, and they're playing a little bit different of a way. I think for Denver to be that type of team, you need that two-headed monster. You need Jamal Murray to be Jamal Murray. Yeah. And Jamal Murray just isn't Jamal Murray no. yet. And, hey, coming off those, you know, catastrophic injury, you don't expect that yet. Right. But – at a certain point, he's going to have to be Jamal Murray that we saw in the bubble, yes. Jamal Murray that we've seen in the playoffs. Yeah. If we don't see that Jamal Murray, Denver is going to be a really good story, and they're looking at a first or second round exit yes. because people have to understand, they have to understand that because of how tight things are, you cannot take any matchup for granted in these playoffs. Anybody could end up playing anybody. Right. You've got the Warriors and the Clippers lurking around down near your six, seven, eight range potentially play in range. And if you're De- you're the Denver Nuggets, you don't want to play either of those teams in the first round of the playoffs. If you're the Memphis Grizzlies, you don't want to play the Warriors first round of the playoffs. Everyone has its parity now. And I think the Warriors and the Clippers will normalize, get up to the fifth, sixth seed, fourth seed, third seed potentially, because everything's so bunched up. But Denver's got to remain vigilant because you never know that first round matchup. Maybe Denver p- ends up playing the Mavericks, right? right? And and we get a, a Denver Dallas a, a Luca you know Jokic matchup which would be incredibly I mean, fun but also would be a nightmare for Denver that would be a nightmare scenario for Denver um, so if you think about that you know I, I I don't know what we are expecting from Denver as far as a comp and as far as you know ultimate predictions but none of it really matters unless Jamal Murray gets back to form yeah exactly I was just gonna say that it doesn't matter who they play. <clears throat> Jamal Murray won't be Jamal Murray anymore. If he hasn't in the last 
what the bubble was 2020. He's had two years and yeah. re-injuring it. And I hate to say it, it's looking like a Brandon Roy, which I thought he was going to be a Hall of Famer. Ooh, it's looking same, like yeah. a Tracy yeah, McGrady, Penny Hardaway. Bro, yes. When you said they're going to be another story, that's exactly what they're going to be. And Jokic cannot carry this team. We we talked about this last year. He'll give you, he'll get you a series for sure. He'll get you a series. Oh, yeah. But going to the NBA Finals, he needs that two-headed monster, which was Jamal Murray, and he hasn't been the same since the bubble. So I don't think he will ever get back to that moment where he that was, level. Yeah, he won't get back yeah. to that. I don't think that's just my opinion. He's had a couple of We will see what Klay Thompson has done in his return. It's not the the biggest, but he's getting back acclimated faster yeah. than Jamal Murray has, for sure. Yeah, it's tough, man. That you coming back from a catastrophic injury like yeah. that. Like, I mean, these these are these are injuries that shake everything. When you lose it and really it, I'm finding out it's less about the injury itself and more about time away from the game. Mm-hmm. You talk about time away from and knocking that rust off has just been so difficult uh, for a lot of different players. So yeah. for Clay to come back and play as well as he did last year and for him to be a substantive rock solid piece of a title run, you know, you think about that's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's no, a really miracle is. when you think about it. Yeah. Like him coming back and dunking in the first game back, you know, that's a miracle, yes. you know. Those types of things where you look at it and say, man, this is this is different. So I think we take for granted how long it takes for players to get acclimated. Now, we'll say, you got your Bruce Brown, you got Highland, Aaron Gordon's playing a lot better, yeah. um, MPJ. I mean, you, you know, you've got a deep team here. You've got a team that can play very well. I just think if we're talking about most complete team and a team that I think can really make some noise in the playoffs, I think the New Orleans, mm-hmm. um, the oh, New Orleans Pelicans yeah. definitely – um, have a Zion's tremendous, looking, tremendous opportunity yeah, to do that. The version, looking like the version we, we were expecting to see coming out of Duke. So. Absolutely. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and now getting into it to our favorite uh, sports moment of the year. This is something we do to kind of like, you know, recap everything that kind of that, that were the highlights um, in the sports in, in the sports totality. But a game that I, I keep going back to, Chiefs-Bills, that was – the way that ended, 13 seconds that left. Special? Yeah, that was that, <laughs> yeah, 13 that special? seconds yeah. left. I mean, it, it really seemed like it was going to be Buffalo's moment and then what Mahomes uh, uh, does and then Kelsey um, closing out the game in overtime. I thought that was just, just a yeah. really spectacular moment. Uh, to you, Tyler, do you have like a particular sports moment of the year that, that you kind of go back to a lot? Yeah, I have three um, that I keep replaying in my head. I think there's others that could definitely be mentioned, but definitely that Bills-Chiefs game. Yeah. And just how incredible that was and back and forth, you know, two young heavyweight, you know, it felt like a middleweight title fight, you know, yeah. it just felt like, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. The second one, of, of course, as a Warriors fan, I'm going to say game four of the NBA Finals, oh, no, um, <laughs> you know, immediately, <laughs> immediately, you know, when you take, for example, Steph Curry coming off of the, the ankle twist, you know, coming off of the, the smirk at the end of game three in the fourth quarter. You know the psycho smirk, as I like to call it, <laughs> where he's like, "Nah, I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to turn it up on y'all," and and also the prevailing sentiment, which was, "Oh, the Warriors in those first, you know, really game one at the end of game one, and then game three looked old, right? And then you're not getting the same Draymond." And for him to turn it around in game four and start with screaming at the crowd, cussing him out. I love that energy as a pastor. I absolutely love that. Let's see more of that. Um, <laughs> yes. That's what I want to see. Let's see more of that. Yeah, let's see more of that. Um, 
Nah, man, but <laughs> I, you know, he needs that to get himself going. But I think also what I'll say is just the way in which he kept them in the game, that third quarter, you know, was just phenomenal. The mm-hmm. third quarter of their, their, their double team and them trying to trap him. But the Celtics running drop coverage like like maniacs, you know, just still not realizing that that's not going to work against Steph Curry. You know, that was just a special moment. So as a Curry fan, Warriors fan, and as an NBA fan, sports fan, you know, Savon, you got to respect it. Now, what I will say is uh, the final the final one uh, just happened recently, and that's the World Cup final. Man, oh, yeah, what yeah, a game, yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, Argentina and France, you talk about cool. the super team in France against the superstar player in Argentina. Argentina gets out to a quick 2-0 lead. Um, France is panicking. They sub out two of their best players before halftime. Never happens. And then everything is is domination until Kylian Mbappe scores yeah. two goals in two minutes. You know what I mean? Just miraculous stuff, right? You get extra time. You get a, a classic save by Argentina's goalkeeper. Two more goals scored. Penalties. I mean, it was just... It was so much intrigue in that game. So I have to give that some love as well. I think those are the three that stand out to me so far. Man, we got it. Next year, we got to do three sports moments of the year. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared. <laughs> no, but what I will say is another one that really was was crazy is Alabama, Tennessee, man. Oh, that, was Tennessee. that was incredible. That was, a that was incredible. just a tremendous game. Yeah, yeah. And you just, you know, all that intrigue, everything. It was just, it was very special. So, yeah, I think, I think those are the moments. And then, I, you know, man. I think this Luca moment at the end of you got it. at the end of that game that that scoring off that tip that's just really special man that's just you know down nine with thirty five seconds left that's the that's the scenario right is there, crazy man. the scenario yeah down nine with that much time yeah with that little time left is Boo. very tough that was another Tuesday and we gotta give some love to my man uh the 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 debut of Victor Wimbanyama man like I think. You know, seven foot four KD slash. Nice. Yeah. I mean, his different. debut. Watching him do them step back threes and he's different man and dunking and I was like, whoa, this is. Yeah. It felt historic watching yeah. that. Yeah. For, for you, Savon, what, what would kind of be your your like sports moment of the year that that, that kind of stood out to you? I have one. Uh, uh, um, Florida, Utah. That was. Hey, come on, the come on, go of the year. And then we got disappointed for the rest of the season. That's the only highlight we had, <laughs> brother. <Don't laughs> <touch it. laughs> but no, I was going to say, yeah, the Bills Chiefs was a good one. World Cup was yeah. definitely a good one. I was going to mention that one. But then I had to change to uh, Florida and Utah. But no, nah, I think that game with Florida and Utah, the swamp was different. Just to see the potential AR, which I still think he should have stayed another year because he's not ready for the NFL. I don't know who's in his ear. You already got a million dollars in NIL. What are we doing here? You're not ready for the NFL. You do not check all the boxes, but that's nearly here and then you're gone. But now that moment there, I remember where I was because I was I lost my voice that weekend because uh, I was screaming. I was screaming to the top. Of, but then that's my favorite. Favorite. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was such a special yeah, moment, yeah. Um, especially it being Amari Bernie to get that pick. Yes. You know, in the end zone. At the, you know. A player like Amari Bernie, if you're familiar with the Gators, like somebody like him to get that pick at the end is special. Yeah. Utah coming in saying the swamp and humidity humidity is not gonna make a difference. Uh Diabate, you know, there was so much subtext yes, in the game man. too. Diabate, who was a star linebacker, mm-hmm. you know, was perceived to be a star linebacker at Florida, transferring to Utah, 
I mean, you know, and then now playing back in the swamp under a different jersey. Yeah. And uh, AR was, and, and I'll tell you, that has a signature moment, that AR pump yes. spin yes. on the two-point conversion. That was crazy. Still one of the illest plays of, of athletic feet yeah, in no. all of sports this year. Yeah, mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and now getting into our album reviews with our first album review with, with Absol's uh, Herbert. Um, in this new new project, which was kind of extremely vulnerable and revealing, it contained, you know, a lot of exquisite punchlines, great word wordplay and dynamic flows. And to looking at back at this album, I mean, this is this is one where I mean, Absol was talked about it in a in a recent interview that you know he, he was gonna com- com- commit suicide last year, has gone through a lot of personal things. But to you, Tyler, like like what stood out to you in this album and 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 the and what he was trying to convey through this project? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the album grabs you on the first track. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a very special, you know, the sonically, you're getting that, I think, a much more focused Absol. Mm -hmm. You're getting an Absol that really approaches album as though this could be my last album. You know, this is my last opportunity. The the punchlines were very cutting. Like, I think he has a very, lyrically, you already know you're going to get some lyricism from him. Mm -hmm. But I think this time it was much more cutting. Um, it felt like it had a little bit of, of obviously, you know, you're talking about a West Coast yeah. rapper, but it's like that boom bap, like no frills, yeah, you know, very Nas like, you know, like let's get let's get down to business, let's let, let's let these lyrics talk. Um, you get that, you know, left coast defiance, West Coast defiance, that TDE defiance, which you love. Um, it was special, and then obviously, you know. With Big Sean, it's one of the verses of the year. Um, you know his his contribution to the album. So I really enjoyed this one. This was some, this was one that I played from the day it came out. Uh, one of my friends sent this over to me. I was like, yeah, immediately this is the right one. Yeah. Um, so it's good to see Absol, and then you know connecting to his healing journey, which I think more rappers obviously are talking about. Um, you know, navigating those dark nights and those mm-hmm. difficult moments. Uh, it's, it's a special album. Absolutely. Um, to, to you, Savon, what stood out to you in this project, um, the things that he was kind of revealing and, and just like like Tyler said, the lyricism is up there, the punchlines are up there, and he really, you know, focused on on a more concise body of work. I like the features, the specific features. Big Sean, Joey Bade, yes. um, Janae, uh, he even got Sakari on there. Sakari, um, that was I think he brings a different element to music. Uh, Sir, which is one of my favorite, I think yeah, it'd be like it'd be like that. I thought that was Sir is amazing. Yeah, Sir is underrated, man. The man can he got yeah 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 yeah. Sir is Sir is amazing. But I thought like this was a more like Tyler said it was a more focused album. It's like he went back to ground zero and he fell in love with rapping again, fell in love with telling his story again. Yeah, and I know he he went That's on so uh, Joe uh, Joe Button's podcast. He's like, man, I'm trying to get the money. <laughs> He was like, okay, forget all this conscious rap. I'm trying to get the money. So yeah. it seems like he's having fun again. He's living again. He's just not existing. So I think that's the beauty about music. You get to tell your story without restraints, without, you know, judgment. You just get to lay it all out on the track. And I thought he definitely did that. And Big Sean verse. I think Big Sean is one of the best featured rappers Yeah, that's what I was about to ever, say. It's Absolutely. Oh without a doubt. And people sleep on Big Sean too. Big Sean has bars. Sometimes his albums aren't that good, but he's a definitely a good feature artist for sure. Definitely good. But I thought this definitely. was a- yeah. I think that's such a good point, Savon. That's such a good point. We talk about you know how he gets down to ground zero, fell, fell in love with rapping again. 
He seems happy. He seems to be having joy in the art. That's such a good point because that's obvious when you look at his his expression now. Mm-hmm. You know, in these interviews, it feels a little bit different than it did before. You know, you you see some light in him. Yes. You know, yes. it's not just all darkness. Mm-hmm. You see some light in him. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. Um, now, in, in, in terms of like where TDE stands, like to, to you, Savon, like obviously what SZA put out, then 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 Kendrick. Um, go, go, going away from from the label, like like, what are your thoughts on how just the label stands today, stands pat, and what they did because they ended the year really strong with yeah. SZA, with a SZA album and and um Absol back to back. Man, they're in good hands, bro. Like reasons, I still think reasons is next up. I'm huge on reason. He checked boxes, lyricism, bars, the voice, the cadence. Mm-hmm. Like reasons is next up, and I think TDE is a good hand, especially you got SZA, got Absol, you still got Isaiah. I think Isaiah's still on the label. Sakari's on the label. I think TDE is in good hands. Kendrick obviously was the front runner, but I think they're more than capable of still. Obviously, SZA dropping and Absol dropping and just mm-hmm. yeah, man, they're they're in good hands. But I do think how they market reasons next year is going to be pivotal to really his career because he got it. He's new there. beginnings was new beginnings. Yes, bro, still on rotation. Like dude's got yeah. it. Like yeah, you know I'm I'm big on reasons. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, I need. I need a. Uh, I need a little bit more from J Rock, man. Like I'd love to. He's been love quiet. to hear a little bit more J Rock. Yeah, he's yeah. been so quiet. You know, I, I. I really appreciate his artistry and style. I know there's been some, some static contractually, you know, here and there. Like we heard some rumors. We heard some rumors with SZA, even you know, putting the album out, things like that, mm-hmm. getting it out. But, um, I think TDE's in good hands, man. I'd love to see. Obviously, PG Lang. I'm looking forward to seeing what PG Lang does. And uh, you know Kendrick making his next move, yeah. but you know reason is special. Mm-hmm. Reason is special, and I think you see that in the freestyles. He's got that spark um, with Ab, with Isaiah, with J Rock. You know potentially still being on the label, SZA. Yeah, I mean I think they're they're in good hands, and they have the opportunity to really. I think now we need to consider SZA one of those top artists. I mean she's oh, yeah. she's batting two for two on these albums. Yeah, you know I think we need to start considering her. Mm-hmm. We start putting her up there. Mm-hmm. You know she's a She's a star. She's a star star, you know? So I think they've, they've expertly timed her release on the back end of Kendrick's departure as mm-hmm. her being the opportunity that now have the, the centerpiece bedrock foundational role in TDE. Um, and then I think there's a number of different rappers that can uphold that as well. But I hope they don't fumble Reason's career, man. He, need, he, needs, a, uh, he needs a solid release. Yes. He needs a lot of attention. Yes. He needs some well-timed features. Uh, we need to see more from him in 2023 for TDE to, to be what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, and now getting into to Little Sims, I uh, know thank you review and her new follow up to the tour 2021 album. Sometimes I might be introvert. Um, you know, she really delivers a concise project and one that kind of highlighted her brilliance and depth along with having, you know, riveting emotions. Uh, to, to you, Tyler, like what stood out, stood out to you about this album? Um, some people said like she kind of has a Lauren Hill uh, filter mm-hmm. in some, some of her music, some of her, her soundscapes, but uh, what were kind of the main things that, that stood out to you? Yeah, definitely. I, 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 it's been a struggle to get into Lil Sims. And I'm not saying <laughs> Wait, that's I'm not sorry. because I, I don't like her. I, it's been a struggle, man. I, I just, it's been a struggle. And I think, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I'm just being honest. He's being honest. Man, that's bro. what we wanted for us to go. No, <laughs> it was like the setup, bro. I thought he was going to go to a whole bro. different direction. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you thought I was going to be like, yeah, you know, like Lauren. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, no, no. 
I struggle, man. And and, and again, I, I, it's not because I don't think she's a tremendous artist um, and has a lot of promise, but it's something that does not grab me about her music, you know? And I think I felt a little bit more from her introvert album than this one. I felt like that album yeah, like had that a little bit more spark personally. And this one, it felt like there is a concision that's happening, but I feel, it felt a little formulaic for me. Um, at certain points within this album. So again, I, I like Little Sims. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying she's a she's a poor artist, but or anything like that. I just personally, she hasn't become one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. So hard for me to give a review because I'm like, oh, I don't want it to sound to sound negative. I'm just saying, you know, I know Stay her Stavon gives a negative reviews every week. Stavon would. All the time. I'm glad you did it I know, I'm just like, man, bro, it's just, I just like, ah. I was just expecting maybe a little bit more progression from her. Yeah. And, you know, I was I was hoping that I would get into this album more even than the previous one. But even that one, I like the introvert album better than this one, but that one wasn't really in rotation for me. So mm-hmm. it's hard for me to judge albums that don't make it into the rotation. So Yeah. Savon, S- what were kind of your initial thoughts on this and, and some of the things that, that you kind of took away from it? Mm, I think the only song I liked on this was Gorilla. I think her flow was unchecked the melody she created i thought was really dope but i said i do think it was formulated i think it was just like there was no progression she she felt comfortable it sounded like she was in the same pocket yeah she was in the same pocket and it was just like okay mm-hmm. it's just similar to larry june larry june's i can listen to yeah, certain songs and then i'm like okay i'm tired of the monotone clear eyes or even now we talk about um yes yeah yes. Yeah, exactly. yeah yeah so it's similar to that like she is no differentiating between how to switch to different stuff it was just like hunting them and then and then like she sound like diggable planets but a, a little upgrade from diggable planets like cool like that i'm cool like yeah. that like it sounded just like that but just a little but getting upgrade. that for a while yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah um, and 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 what i will say that's a great point Simon. and i will say even the topic she's talking about feel, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about the mental health, you talk about your relationship with the label, you talk about, it just feels like, some of it's like, man, this is kind of what we expect you to say, yeah. you know, it kind of feels like, where's the surprise angle or where's something that I'm not really expecting? And maybe I, I need to re-listen to her fresh ears. I just completely agree. Like over the course of an album, I find myself drifting and I don't want to drift you know, when I'm hearing some of the top artists, um, especially someone of her caliber that's, mm-hmm. you know, people are putting a lot of stock into. I think that's a great, that was great. No, thank you. Yeah. There's, and one more thing before we move on, there's, where is like the specialness? Where's the, like you said, angles? Where's the, I can't think of the word. It is right here. Like, no, thank you. The name of your album. It's, it's, Give us something else. There has Doesn't to, know, yeah. yes, there has to, to be something else. Like, yeah. um, yeah. like what we get from Kendrick, Kendrick's albums, DNA, uh, dang, like all those albums, we get a story. We get Smart. more to it. Like it makes us sink into it. Yeah, like, did you just call this album dang? <laughs> I didn't want to say the other thing. Dang. This boy, this boy, this boy, like, man, I'm trying to live that straight narrow, bro. Kind of I said, wow. We got kids. This is the album type. We call it day. 
Oh, yeah. It's called Dang on Full Scope. <laughs> hey, look, I didn't think anybody was going to catch that, though. I thought we were just going to move past it and just like, okay. I was like, no, nah, I got to call that out. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you just called that one, Dang. It's okay, brother. All right. Oh, that's funny, bro. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think we need that. And I, I think artists have to understand also, this is what I feel about television movies. There's so much content now. Mm-hmm. There are so many shows. You know, there are so many movies. There is so much music. You got to make it worth my time. You cannot play with my time. Perfect point. You know, like, Perfect point. And I'm, and, and I'm not saying that she's not putting forth effort or anything like that. And I think there's a lot of creativity in what she does. It's just something that's missing for me. And it could just end up being, hey, it's not for me personally. Mm-hmm. But I want artists to take a lot of risk and really try to deliver something that's that it factor, you know, that it factor and, and kind of give us a different angle. So Yeah, absolutely. Um and getting getting to our to our uh throwback review kind of with D'Angelo's The Messiah. This is obviously an album that is to the test of time for for for, for so many years. The 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 talent and just kind of like the messages that that are that are brought th- throughout this project have kind of been able to to like overplay for for years and years. And it's rare to get albums like this even 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 today. Um, for, for 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 certain artists that, that that we look from, but but to you, Tyler, like looking back at this project and even like how you view it now, like, like what what stands out to you now, and even you know what it was back then. Well, you know, this album is in my top five ever. You know, I believe that people have, you know, five albums. I, I believe that you can figure out someone's music taste in their five defining albums, right? Yeah. And this is definitely one of the five top defining albums. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. And if people remember Black Messiah, you have to remember it came out in December of 2014. And this is right after, you know, Mike Brown was killed. This is right after we found out about Eric Garner. Mm-hmm. This this was protest music. This was music that we needed to hear. This is at the height and the zenith, you know, what kind of is becoming the 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 liftoff of the Black Lives Matter movement. And you know, the conversation is in all of our ears. Mm-hmm. And for D'Angelo to drop an album like this, you know, after so so many years of absence, it was indescribable to hear kind of the the pressure that that this album placed upon our ears, but also the sense of relief. Like D'Angelo intersperses a lot of, you know, anger and intensity. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then leaves that place and then goes into peaceful moments. So you take, for example, like uh, the contrast between something like A Thousand Deaths or the charade, right? And, you know, then you get into really love and, and uh, prayer till it's done. I mean, man, it's just Betray My Heart, Another Life. I mean, this is a classic, classic album as all are all the albums that D'Angelo gives mm-hmm. us. But it felt like he gave us this gift right when we needed yeah. it. And I love when artists recognize moments mm-hmm. because he recognized this is when we needed this album. Mm-hmm. When we're in the streets, protesting, marching, people outside of Ferguson, in Ferguson, in St. Louis, you know, in New York, <clears throat> we're having these conversations. There's so much pressure in the world. Mm-hmm. We need Black Messiah right now. Right. And he recognizes that, gives us that. And uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough about how much this album has shaped my view of music, how I listen to it, um, and how I appreciate it. 
definitely. Um, so you say, Ron, like, like, what are your thoughts looking back at this project? And obviously, like, like Tyler said, it dropped at the perfect time, yeah. a, a moment, a time capsule when people really needed it the most and it, it delivered what, what everybody what was, was really kind of needing at the moment. So I think it's everything for this album. And I'm so used to seeing, hearing a different style of D'Angelo, but it still had his, his enriched DNA of what, what he did in the 90s. But to be able to mm-hmm. implement that into a different sound and when we needed the most, like Tyler said, and to be able to get other people like-mindedness, like Quest Love, who I'm a big fan of Quest Love. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was He's part of the Vanguard. He's one of the, well, he's the drummer for the Vanguard. And just to be able to, the message, again, we just talked about Little Sims and No Thank You, but this had a message and it was a good, well-rounded album and made you think and made you angry and made you feel it made you want to, like, you know, it made you want to do things. So I, I thought this album was very beautiful. And then, I mean, D'Angelo yeah. can sing his butt off. And I think the arrangements were were pretty good. And, I mean, Plus Love was killing it on the drums. But I don't know if he did this album live after he dropped it, but I would love to hear this album live. Like, live. Bro, he did, man. He did? So, oh, right man. after this. Bro, right after this, I got married, right? So this is right around the time I got married. And bro, like this is why I'm uh this is why I joke and I laugh about, you know, dang and all that. But man, we gotta be free because man, I was like, I need to go get them tickets <laughs> to see D'Angelo at Tabernacle in ATL. Bro, and I was like, babe, we gotta do it, we gotta do it. And or no, I think it was in Birmingham. But it all ended up working out because I was so upset that we didn't get those tickets. I was like, I don't care if it, who sees me at this concert. I'm going to his D'Angelo <laughs> concert. But it all worked out because it was snowed in, so it was the, the concert uh, ended up getting canceled. <clears throat> so it would have been it would have been more hurt for me to drive all the way up there right. and uh, yeah, and not be able to experience it and then be stuck in snow. But yeah, the the Vanguard man, there's no band like it, bro. There's no band like it. It's just, it's special. And I think D'Angelo's essence, I would actually recommend for people, if you haven't read the book Dilettante by Dan Charnas, Dilettante is a book to read because it talks about how Jay Dilla kind of interacted with Questlove and D'Angelo and kind of built this sound, Mm -hmm. you know, and how they would just spend hours together just rocking. You know, yeah. just hours rocking in the studio. So check out Dilaton for more D'Angelo love because he's a, that's a once in a generation artist mm. right there. Mm. I literally just just listened to Jay Dilla's Donuts for the first time ever. Really? Bro. Wow. <laughs> welcome. Nice. Welcome. <laughs> welcome yeah, to music, man. <laughs> you welcome met to Kanye, music. You met Kanye's father yeah. right there. You met Kanye's <laughs> right, father. I know for sure. For sure. Um, and, and now kind of getting in, into to our top three favorite albums of the year. This is obviously a, another a, a big segment of, of, of every uh, last episode of the year. Like there have been so many albums that, that, that we've had that have kind of like, you know, even from our from our main A-list artists that, that have kind of come back from a long time and even underground ones earlier in the year. Um, mm. For me, I would have Ben Staples, Ramona Parker in my heart. That, that would be one of my one of my main ones because he is I think he's he's gaining more traction. Even he dropped a project last mm. year and, and his, his messages, I, I think having that West Coast feel as well, I think it's really strong. Uh, J.I.D. is the forever story. We've mentioned, Savon, like how J.I.D. is just, he can, he can hang on any track with, with anybody, honestly, yeah. and, and kind of separate himself. And dope. then um, dope. Uh, Alex Isley and Jack Dine's Marigold. Like uh, Alex Isley. Yeah. yeah. I still listen really, to that now. 
Yeah, yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. really, really concise project. It can run through at any point. Um, but to you, Tyler, kind of like what are your top three favorite albums of the year that you kind of go back to? Or maybe more. Ooh. Maybe you got more. <laughs> yeah. Savon, give me yours, because I'm, I'm trying to cut down my five to three. <laughs> um, have to go Kendrick. Uh, Kendrick's album, man. Beautiful body of work. To be able to, we talked about this, be able to have that message in there and it be, you know, uh, hit every angle, every uh, inch of uh, his fan base. He gives you the radio hits. He gives you the consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's just check boxes. Scissors album, I still listen to it. I love her range. She finally gave us the angle of her yeah. being a full rounded singer. Yeah. And we've all out and, and me, I was always curious, is she just an auto-tune singer? No. The three, four tracks she did that was a different style, I was like, okay, she can sing. Okay. All right. I would like to see her sing the national anthem now. Not Fergie. I don't hope she don't do like Fergie. And then uh <laughs> <laughs> I think another album that slept on is Chris Brown's Breezy, man. It was 20-some songs, but every one of them hit. Like I just I tried to find something bad with it, but I just couldn't. So I tried to do art. Well, I did R and B and rap, but it was a couple that were were really good. JID's album was definitely in my top five of the year, but those three I listened to more often than than the, yeah. the other two. But no, those are my three. It's a good list. Yeah, I think um, I would say one that that I I loved. If y'all haven't heard of Red Hands Band. Red oh, Hands yeah, has an album called The Family. Ooh, let me go to add that. And uh, The Family album, Red Hands is dope. It's kind of like a uh, gospel funk type feel, and they just have a, a super dope vibe. Mm. Um, so I think, Savon, you would really love that album. So if you haven't heard of Red Hands, definitely download that their, their latest album. Um, man, Candy Drip by Lucky Day. Oh, yeah. Was a big mm, that Candy no. Drip album was... Woo, Ooh, that candy drip album too commercial man. too commercial i i loved it i felt it i loved it i thought it was it was great i felt like you know lucky day was lucky day on the album and um another one i really enjoyed was um moonchild's album starfruit yes yeah recently yes. so yeah. that album yes. is yeah. incredibly special mm. and the way she like whispers on the track, but also like it's very it's very intimate, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that that sound. So that one was amazing. Um, and then final, I got to give a couple of shouts out to two more, but Black Radio Three by Robert Glassford. Um, that one really touched me. It wasn't necessarily an album that I expected to, but that one really got to me, and I really enjoyed that one. And then Beyonce Renaissance. I think that album is. It's one of the most memorable listens. You talk about a first listen to an album. It's one of the most memorable listens. And some of the stuff that she does on these tracks, I'm like, man, just she is really pushing the envelope as an artist, mm-hmm. developing new sounds, yeah. um, really testing her own voice. Um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed uh, that album. And then, you know, obviously Kendrick's, up there as well but Kendrick was a hard album to listen to so he's got so those moments that you never forget like yeah it was hard because value. of content like, yeah. it was just hard because of content you know it was just every album mm. yeah but when you take about you talk about count me out and you know n95 and mr morale like 
those are just some gems, you know, those are the ones that you can get, but I'm just not trying to hear, you know, um, what's that joint that he did where they was cussing each other out? We belong together or something That's like that. That's one of my or, favorites, or... sorry. Oh. Yeah, like you just, you sitting there just seeing them cussing. You know, we belong together. Like, like, I'm just like, you know how you got that Jay-Z gif of Jay-Z like, you know, he's like, that's how I felt. I was like, oh, oh no. Oh, and then Mother Sober. Yeah, like, that was a... you know, you did it. You broke the cycle. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I am not your savior. Bro, I don't want to be crying every time I listen to this album. So, but it's a special album. It might actually end up being Kendrick's best album, you know, in terms of an actual project. Mm-hmm. But it's just not my personal favorite Kendrick album, but it, it definitely deserves a mention. Definitely. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our movie review of Pride. Welcome back to the show and now we're getting into our Pride review. And to start with the overview, Pride is a 2007 film based upon the, the true story of Philadelphia swim coach James Jim Ellis. Pride stars Terrence Howard, Bernie Mac, and Kimberly Ellis. The film was directed by Sunu uh, Gennaro. And it brought in $7.1 million into the box office, had, had um, a 47% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, ex- extremely, extremely low rating. But to, to you, Tyler, like, what were your thoughts on how this <laughs> film... Extreme, that rating low. <laughs> that rating is bad. <laughs> it's a bad rating. It is a bad... We talk about this all the time. Rotten Tomatoes, the, the, way, they, the way they rate their films is, is all over the place. But to, yeah, to you... Well, it's just an aggregate of all the reviews. So, yeah. you know, Rotten Tomatoes only means so much unless you you know, count the aggregate views of everyone, so. Yeah, um, but, but like, looking at this film, I mean, you know, with what it contained, you know, a, a, a stellar t- Terrence Howard performance and really portraying the characters with a deep sense of um, flawed humanity and redemptive quality, uh, what were your initial thoughts on it and, and what, what stood out to you the most? So there's only one movie that can consistently make me cry no matter when I watch it, where I see it, and that's Pride. Um, particularly the scene where they are competing at PDR, mm-hmm. hosting a swim meet with the rival uh, all-white team that is, you know, state championship level or what have you. And, um, you know, that team ends up walking out on them and, you know, claims to have a sickness, you know, but really they're just forfeiting so that or they're staging, you know, the sickness so that, you know, they don't have to compete in the same pool as them, right? right. So they're trying to show them up. And um, so they walk out and Terrence Howard is frustrated. And then uh, Andre stands up on the uh, the uh, platform and raises one fist in the air. And uh, everyone claps and he says, you know, this is our house, coach. Yeah. And then everybody starts saying, this is our house. And uh, no, that that 100%, no matter what, will always make me cry, um, no matter where I am or what stage of life I'm in. <clears throat> but I think the film is really a triumph because it doesn't, it's not the, the biggest film. It's not the most... Uh, award-winning. Yeah, yeah award-winning film. It's not the blockbuster but when you talk about someone like Jim Ellis, Jim Ellis deserved a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a coach that deserves to be highlighted in film world. Yeah. And so for me, the fact that this really happened and it was a real, based upon a real character who taught, you know, black students and 
black at-risk youth how to swim and make something of their lives and keep them in structured activity, keep them disciplined, uh, protect them from the outside world, uh, protect them and give them dignity in the midst of racism. I just, it was special. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you said, a stellar Terrence Howard performance. It's one of my favorite Terrence Howard performances. Here's a few that I think are pretty underrated and special, but this is one of my favorite ones for sure. And um, yeah, pride means a lot to me. And I used to wear that that DVD out when we had it back in the day. <laughs> yeah, uh, but pride means a lot to me for sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and getting to, to our first topic, you know, you know, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Like, is there a particular rating for the film that you would have, and, and kind of like some reasons for it? You know, pride is is interesting. You know, there's there's things about it that are weaknesses. I think that the the overall pacing and flow of the film and the interspersing of the comedy and drama can maybe be a little bit better mm-hmm. tied together. I think some of the, the film doesn't have as much explanation as it should. Um, and But once the movie gets going, I think it it really sets and establishes its own pace. And I really right. think we have to look at this through the lens of black cinema and black art, which is to provide representation, which is important, though a limited concept, it is important, mm-hmm. to highlight a black historical figure that would typically not be seen in our history books or heard from, right. um, to acknowledge uh, inequity and injustice of a systemic nature, that this is systemic inequity and injustice that would cause for black swimmers to be treated differently than than white swimmers and to not have the same access and opportunity, but then also to celebrate black triumph. Not so much, you know, there's obviously black resilience, but there's resilience can sometimes become a trope in Hollywood. Like black people have to go through the mud to you know, get through. And all yeah. They have to be self-effacing and forgiving. It's just, it can become tropey. But I think what I, what I appreciate and enjoy is how uh, this highlighted black triumph and yeah. the conquering of something. And first of all, the conquering of self, <clears throat> excuse me, and the conquering of circumstance, and then the conquering of the outside world, uh, because you know yourself. And because you know yourself, now you know you know who you are, and you can stand in who you are in the outside world. So yeah. from a symbolism and meaning standpoint, I love it. I think as a, as a rating, I'd probably give it a three out of four stars, um, yeah, because you know, technically, there's, there's little things that you can quibble with in the film. Mm-hmm. that I think could be done better. But this is one of those hidden gems. You know, this strikes me. There's there's this there's this type of Black cinema that's kind of these hidden gems that tell real life stories of Black people. Mm-hmm. And those gems are, are special, you know, like your pride, your great debaters, yeah. um, you know, with Denzel Washington and talking about Melvin Tolson, you know. And, you know, just those types of films that kind of fly under the radar um, your Akila, Akila and the Bee, mm. you know, just those films that don't have those huge releases, but featured burgeoning, budding black actors. I mean, yeah. Kimberly Elise is in this film. Um, Nate Parker is in this film. You know, you're talking about young actors that were, you know, kind of rising up into their own, becoming who they were. Um, and I love seeing that these actors can also get to get those big roles as well and to be seen on the big screen, maybe in a different light. And sure, it's not going to be a award-winning film or a blockbuster film, but it's still very It's a special. necessary so film. 
Yeah, it's necessary. Yeah, so. I agree. Yeah, I give it. I give it a three out of four stars for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I was. I would. I would go with three as well. I mean, you know, there there is a formula formulaic feel to it, but but it is really touching at times and highly entertaining. And, and it's it's definitely like like we talk about Terrence Howard. He really carries a, a lot throughout it. Like like when you look at a film like this from Terrence Howard, do you feel as though every actor kind of has that one film where they they it may not be the one where people talk about it as much, but it's kind of like that hidden ball of one that really resonated the most and kind of carried the, the most meaning, even if it didn't collect all the awards at, you know, at, at, at the Oscars. Absolutely. I mean, Denzel Washington has a number of these, you know, with Great Debaters, Men on Fire. Yeah. You know, I think this is also one of Bernie Mac's best films. I think Bernie That's Mac true. was so good in this film because he and Terrence Howard had an immediate chemistry. I think the chemistry between Terrence Howard and Kimberly at least sometimes left a little bit to be desired. Mm. But the chemistry between Bernie Mac and Terrence Howard was solid. You know, Jim and Elston, it felt like they were really connected. It felt like they worked hard to develop that chemistry as well. Mm. And yeah, I think this is one of those Terrence Howard films that you're looking back on and you're saying, sure, nobody's going to remember this film as like, oh, this is his greatest performance ever. Yeah. You know, they're not going to remember like it's Hustle and Flow or. You know, they're not going to remember it like it's best man or, you know, whatever, but they are going to remember that this is, you know, a special performance. And I think a lot of actors do have those moments where you look back and say, you know, with Russell Crowe and and, uh, Christian Bale, like 310 to Yuma, you know, it's one of those movies where you look back and you say, nobody's necessarily going to put that at the top of Russell Crowe's highlight reel. Right. You know, because you have the gladiators and the more famous you brands. You have, go above it. You have, yeah, you have Dark Knight, you know, for Christian Bale, the the, the uh, Batman trilogy. But that's probably, you know, one of their best films. You oh, yeah. know, like, yeah. Um, you just think about those types of films. And I love those types of films because those, those are those moments where people like Terrence Howard can really show their chops, mm-hmm. you know, can carry a film. If you talk about carrying any feature film that's greenlit by a major television, a major Hollywood um, agency, a Hollywood company, you know, in terms of production, that's a feat. Like, it doesn't matter oh, yeah. what the film looks like oh, or yeah. how many millions, like, that's hard to do. And so just seeing the blackness of this cast, and I also love the fact that it was multi-shaded, too. So you have, you know, darker skin characters you have, so you're not dealing with just overt colorism. You have darker skin characters as well represented. Um, that was special, and then the majority of the cast being black. It was, it was special, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and now getting into favorite character, um, for me, I would I would go with Andre because he really ended up being you know one of the main leaders on the team. And even though he kind of wanted to detach so many times, he knew that the only you know healthy choice for him was to stay on the team and, and for it to for it to really save his life at the end. Um, but to you, like overall, kind of who was like your your favorite character in this movie? Yeah, I mean, Bernie Mac's character, Elston, is kind of a, an obvious one, but I think Reggie would be my favorite character. I think Reggie and how he deals with the speech impediment, mm. how he struggles with finding himself, how he's frail and weak, but finds identity and then ultimately is able to be the centerpiece of what happens near the end of the film. Yeah, um, That was just, that was special to me. And Andre's obviously a very likable character. All the characters are very likable, but I think Reggie stands out to me as a character I would I, I remember when I watched that film, I, I remember, always look forward to what Reggie's going to say. Yeah, 
definitely. And, and I mean, like he was, he kind of had a similar role in, in ATL where he like, not the same in the, in the same sense, but he kind of was the picked on person in, in, in the movie. Like, do you feel as though he kind of ele- like, not obviously those roles weren't identical, but it did have a feel of like, this is the guy that's going to get pointed out the most and, and it kind of has to be protected more. Do you feel as though like there was kind of like a, a semblance of like he was in a movie like that before and he kind of was able to bring that back in in a, in a film like this one? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there 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 is that there is that connection, and that's pretty obvious, you know, in those types of black led films. But you know, you want to be careful of that because it's you know typecast and things like that. But I'm glad there there wasn't resolution around Andre as much as there was resolution around Reggie. Like, yeah. I think, seeing the upward trajectory of those characters. I think what was a little bit different in ATL was, you know, Tip played more of the uh, the protective brother figure in ATL. But, you know, his brother in ATL, Evan Ross in ATL doesn't necessarily have, he's not necessarily empowered in the same way, right? Like, I think in, in Pride, there's much more of an empowerment arc for him. And there's a development arc as well, which doesn't feel like, Hey, we're gonna keep protecting you. I'm gonna show up whenever you need me. Mm. More like, nah, you show up for us. Yeah, you exactly. know, you you take the reins for us. You be the anchor for us. Um, and that was just a powerful scene of them letting him know that you know near the end of the film, like you're gonna be anchor, mm. you know, in the championship race. Like that's just. So yeah. now we empower you. Mm. Like now we give to you like the the reality of no, you you're stronger than what you think. There's more yeah. in you than what you know. You know, you'd be surprised what you could accomplish um, when you have confidence in yourself. And that a, a character who's considered lesser becomes a character who is considered essential. And I love those arcs. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can see it with um, James and great debaters, like the same thing, right? Characters right. considered to be lesser skilled, you know, talented, less, but lesser becomes essential, you know, in the end. I think that's the same story for Reggie here. Absolutely. Um, and now getting into most memorable scenes, I had uh, obviously this is our house was one of the top ones. Of uh, life's too short. Uh, Willie joins the team. Uh, Jim's fight against uh, Franklin. Uh, Andre almost leaving the team. Sue finding out about Jim's past, and then uh, finally Andre lead, leading the, the team at the end uh, to victory. Uh, what were your kind of may, maybe like one or two memorable scenes that that you kind of found uh, like like the standouts and the most intriguing ones? Yeah, I, I think um, what I would say is. One of the most memorable scenes is uh, Terrence Howard first getting in the pool, you know, at PDR. You know, him cleaning and working on that, and then the holy moment of stepping back into the place of your calling. Right. You know, and thinking about him not being able to be, to do that and exercise that, and then him sitting in that water. You know, sitting on the edge of that water before hopping in and swimming those laps. There was something about that scene that, sh- that struck me and rung very holy. Um, I also think that the, you know, you have your bombastic scenes with the, you know, what's the most, what's the first thing you ever receive in life? You know, your name. Yeah. You know, your name matters. You know, it's beautiful. And it also, whenever, whenever I feel like someone's tapping into something in themselves, and who they are. Um, I, I always enjoy those scenes more than others because I think they represent something beautiful about human experience and who we are, who we're supposed to be. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I, I definitely, definitely say that that's like a, um, that's, that's one of the scenes that really stands out in the, the main scene as well. I think also, um, you know, the scene of their own, them, them coming and, and having to grow up, you know, that, that the scene where they, they're goofing off and they're laughing and mocking and joking and, and you know, when instead, like, oh, this was this just what we do. Like, we just having fun. We just doing this. We just doing that. And it, it shows you, you know, take seriously the sacrifices that have been made for you. Yeah. They, they came into that first match just not taking it seriously at all. Yeah, like, take seriously what's happening. You know, take it seriously that you have the opportunity to compete. You have the opportunity to do something with your life. Mm-hmm. And then how they, in that next practice, they're all ready and they're all looking at him. The eyes in this film play such a powerful role. Right. You know, if you look at the eyes of how they look at one another, how we see one another, how we look at one another, you know, how we envision ourselves is just a, a difficult but special reality in the black experience. Mm. And I think it's very special in this film to see how they look at their coach, how they look at Coach Ellis, how he looks at them. And, and from that, you know, there's that scene in, in uh, there's that moment in, in the This Is Our House scene where he's he's saying, on your mark, and he keeps firing the gun, yeah. but he's, those tears here. drop, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. because he sees them how they see, how he's, they're starting to see themselves how he sees, he sees them. them. You know? Yeah, that was special. Definitely. Um, and now getting into most memorable quotes, I had, um, you know, Pride is before a crash. Also, you're your own worst enemy. You, you got so much potential. And if Hakeem stays in school, he stays in the pool. Uh, tomorrow, you'll get an opportunity to, to fulfill some of those dreams. And then finally, you and the letters that stand for this place, stand for PDR. Well, what, is, what does it mean to us? Pride, determination, and resilience. Um, but, but looking back at these quotes, what were kind of the ones that, that you felt were maybe like the most memorable and, and, and impactful uh, overall? Yeah, I think, I, think I, I loved seeing the... I really loved seeing the frustration that Andre had that they were going to swim laps for him. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, coach, if, you know, I'm going to walk out, I'm going to quit. You know, sometimes realizing the, the consequences of your own actions. Right. You know, and say, ah, oh, well, I'm going to quit if they have to swim laps. And I love that representation because I think sometimes we, we shun accountability and we look at accountability as something that is, um, and, and we see how sometimes it affects other people. We look at it as something different than what it should be. Mm-hmm. And it's really a lesson to us, a guided lesson to us that we should never take for granted the consequences and the far-reaching realities of our actions. I also really loved, um, you know, Elson's interaction with the pastor. I thought was hilarious. I thought Bernie Mac's interaction. Yeah. You know, he's like, oh, you're finally coming to church, you know, <laughs> and how he kind of played up that I thought was brilliant. But I think the quotes that you mentioned are definitely Whenever he's pulling something out of them, you know, whenever he's pulling something out of Hakeem or Andre, um, I feel like there's the, the movie takes its, its true height in those moments. Yeah, definitely. Um, and now kind of getting into what did you like the most about the storyline? Uh, to me, like how self-worth was something that was, you know, developed more within the players, them kind of respecting themselves more. At, at first, it was more so like this is something that we're just going to be casual about. We have it. And then it was more, it was reinforced into them more like this. You, you have to appreciate the opportunity you had, like you mentioned before, and, and, and really take, take serious um, what's in front of you. But 
to you, like, was there a particular storyline, a particular element of the storyline that you kind of like the most? Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, also we have to think, you know, white supremacy as a, as a construct and as an idea seeks to, and, and this is white supremacy, not white people, just for those who are just unfamiliar with this conversation, but white supremacy as a construct is the way the world is set up as ideology which you can possibly believe in and possibly accept, which is that, you know, people who have been the majority for um, the history of our country are somehow more worthy of dignity and recognition and value and respect and honor yeah. than those of us who have been on the margins of society. So those who have been centered, center themselves. So now they are the whatever it may be. And, I, you know, it, it looms large in all of these interactions. It looms large in how we think about ourselves, how we envision ourselves, how we see ourselves, also how we allow others to see us. And I think the way in which they combated that, and the way in which they fought against that, mm. and the way in which sometimes it overwhelmed them, uh, because that is a reality. You know, these ideologies, unpacking, breaking these ideologies, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and how they did it through simple, small, but powerful ways right. uh, really stood out to me. So, yeah, I think that was something that, that I enjoyed watching. And then I enjoyed watching a coach and a leader, you know, work through his own trauma. Right. You know, if there's anybody that could have used therapy, it's Janela. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> we look at that and we say, you know, the, the tragedy of what he went through and how, you know, his frustration in the opening match led to violence and then how that kept him away from the sport that he loved, you know, his cry, visceral cry, I'm not doing anything wrong, I didn't do anything, you yeah. know, um, and they wouldn't let him get in and do the thing he loved to do. Yeah. Um, and then now seeing him get into that interaction with Franklin and take it out on him. You know, you're seeing the, the, the generational pattern and line of trauma. Now, healing is required for leaders because even in our attempt to protect and love and care for others, we can perpetuate the same trauma upon others that has been perpetuated upon us. Mm -hmm. So the, the idea of healing and the pain of that and what was necessary for him to heal is also something that I think loomed large um, yeah. in this film. And I, I, I wish, you know, and I'm sure, you know, He's passed on now, but you know, I hope Coach Ellis really found his healing. I know he's became a legendary figure in that city and mm -hmm. um, in that space, but you know, we hope that we bear so much in our trauma that we hope that we can um, eventually heal beyond that and to grow into a healed place and then lead and love and, yeah. and live out of a healed place as well. Absolutely. Um, and, and getting to our, to our last topic, you know, 10 years from now, do you still think this will be watchable and, and, and intriguing? Obviously, it's it's way past that mark in so many ways. And, and I think, like like you said, it's not going to be one that's run to the most or it's like constantly going to be on loop. But it is one of those deep seated films that needs to be mentioned more and, and looked at more and appreciated more. Um, but, but how do you kind of feel about the, you know, the how this movie will age um, another another decade from now? I don't know if it'll age into another decade the same way that it's aged into this one. And this is just for me personally, because I think it's really special. Um, and, and how it hit hit me. I, I It's the right formula for me. It's hitting all the right notes. Right. But, I, you know, I do think that 
in, in the next 10 years, this is going to be one of those hidden gems. Oh, yeah. That you're going to find, you know, that you're going to see on a Showtime or whatever, TNT, TBS. And that's going to, you know, come up. That's one of those late night movies, you know, that's like, um, <laughs> what's this? Keanu Reeves <laughs> Hardball. Like, that's that late night movie you yeah. see. You know what I'm saying? Or you're like, you know, like, that's, that's, that's like, oh, that, that kid's movie where he's taking them little league kids and doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the kid just shot and all that. You know, that's one of those, like, you know, barbershop, you know, that's not, right. It's not one you're saying, oh, you have to li- you have to watch this. But for those of us right. who interacted with them, hit us in. And I think it also hit me at a certain point in my development, right? Mm-hmm. Where as a young man, I'm trying to reckon with growing up in white dominated society, right. not having that acting like that doesn't exist and then realizing it very much so does. And now trying to adjust how do I view myself and how does God view me? How do I view others? Am I worthy and all that mm-hmm. as a result of it? So. Yeah, man, I think I think it'll definitely be one that has value for people in certain stages of their lives. And it's just it is an entertaining film, so it oh, works. Yeah, it still has those entertaining. So I feel like people will still watch it, but it's just yeah. it may not be you know one of those black classics that you think of, right? Um, but that's actually encouraging because that means that we're making inroads in doing the art that we desire to do, how we want to do it, and so as a result of that, there. Even even some really good movies like this that are kind of under the radar was still good. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll kind of be lost in the shuffle because there's so much great black art. And yeah. I feel like in the next ten years there's gonna be so many great black shows and movies that this one might be lost and forgotten. That's not a bad thing because those of us who know about it will will speak about it. Absolutely. And before we get out, I mean, we mentioned in the first half certain lists, but to you this year, is there like one movie that you say like this is the unfor- for unforgettable one of this year that? I kind of keep going back to because recently I rewatched Nope and I feel as though that was like the more and more mm-hmm. I watch it, I'm like, this is this was a Jordan Peele film that I even like more than I when I first saw it. It took it took more yeah. time to like enjoy than maybe like the first two, yes. but but I feel as though this is one Daniel Kaluuya, like he had a measured performance. He wasn't just like it wasn't the out kind of kind of like the outward, you know, just yeah. in your face performance get out was this was more like a measure, like he's he's laid back, he's kind of holding things in, but what what to you kind of is the one movie of this year that you kind of keep going back to? Too easy, man. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely the film. So yeah, it that. is. Uh, it's impossible to describe it, but it basically tracks the. It's a multiverse film, so it's a kind of genre bending. It's comedy, it's martial arts, it's sci-fi, it's fantasy, mm-hmm. it's all of the above. Michelle Yeoh is at her the peak of her powers, but it's about this couple that's on the brink of divorce and the husband finds they're, they're running a uh, laundromat and they end up getting audited by the IRS and they go to the IRS office. Anyway, long story short, but one of in the midst of that, he becomes aware through some means, uh, you know, just kind of fanciful means that there's a, a multiverse. And in that multiverse or alphaverse, his wife, Evelyn, is actually the hero. And uh, in all these different realities, she's the hero. She's the person that is the key, like the Neo in the Matrix. Yeah. And um, but that in her current form, where he knows her, she has lessened herself. Mm. And so she's struggling to get through to her daughter. But you know, her and her daughter's relationship actually ends up becoming um, the centerpiece of the film. So it's just a it's a beautiful film. It's genre bending. It is the wackiest film experience. Mm. I've ever been in in a theater 
and there's some stuff in there you're like, what is happening? Um, but it is a beautiful film. I think it's a safe bet that it is the front runner for Best Picture. Mm, it's going um, to collect the awards. It's going to collect the awards. <laughs> I don't know if it'll end up collecting them because Hollywood never likes to miss out on getting a giving a hall of awards to films that talk about filmmaking. Ah. So because, you know, you have the Fablemans, any film about films, Hollywood loves to give it Oscars. Yeah. You know, so they love that meta, you know, Steven Spielberg directing a film about Steven Spielberg. The Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You're like, okay, but golly. Um, So I think the Fablemans, which I haven't seen, but I heard was really good. Probably get some awards. Um, Tar probably get some awards. Um, you know, have it's a good year for movies. Solid year for movies. I have not seen Tar, but I uh-huh. heard it's really good from people I trust. So I'm sure it'll get some awards. Um, I think Top Gun Maverick will surprise some people with some awards. Avatar yeah, will get some awards. You know, but I, that that movie I go back from it. I go back to it. I think, oh, this is that movie. It's mm-hmm. everything, everywhere, all at once for sure. And I've never had an experience like that in the theater. And uh, it taught me a lot about myself. And, you know, I talk about that on our podcast in part two of Cultural Artifacts. Tell me a lot. Oh, okay, it's preview. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You'll, definitely, you'll definitely hear that, you know, personal family stuff. You know, it talks about a lot about me and, and um, my heart and mm. some difficulties I've had and some things I want to grow in as well. So. Yeah. Well, Tyler, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure as always, man. A lot of different oh, things you could have been doing, and, and, and thank you so much for doing this, man. Man, it's always an honor to be on here, man. Full scope, love what you're doing, love uh, the progression of the podcast. And uh, thank you. Thanks for allowing me to be on. And anytime I can be on, I love, love listening to it, listen to the great conversation, the guests that you have, hearing their insightful commentary, and yours as well. So shout out to Full Scope. You're so man. Appreciate it's been great. Uh, only going, only up, only up in 2023. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Winter Burns. This has been Full Scope. See you later.